<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is Stand Up, Speak Up, the podcast that raises awareness and encourages support to those feeling hurt, lost, or forgotten. Welcome to Stand Up Speak Up, a Canadian-made podcast highlighting important social issues and giving a voice to remarkable people. I'm your guest host, Matt Cundell. We first met Devin Price in episodes 45, 46, and 47 of Stand Up Speak Up, where he told us how his addiction story started as a teen and new parent who wanted to support his child and fellow addict partner. He soon fell into dealing drugs and stole to keep up his expensive lifestyle. Devin tried to get clean several times throughout his younger life, especially after he was forced to leave his hometown to avoid an arrest for grand theft. Devin tried to put his life back together and start off fresh in Florida, but soon his old ways caught up with him. He not only started cooking and dealing meth, but also found himself working as a pimp for fellow addicts who wanted to make money to support their own habits. At age 26, Devin was arrested after his car was pulled over and thousands of dollars worth of drugs and drug-related paraphernalia were found inside. When we last met Devin Price, he had just been released from prison after serving three years and used the time to get clean from the drugs that had taken over his life for more than a decade. Devin was living with his mother, Linda, who also suffered from addiction throughout her life. Her own story, told in episode 47, tells of how abusive relationships led Linda to a life on the run and how her addiction overtook her ability to be there for her son as he grew up. Upon Devin's release, he was optimistic about things to come. With a new job at a car dealership, 
and a new relationship forming with his mother. Now, after a few months, Devon has relapsed and recorded a series of diary entries as he started to come back from using again. Let's listen in on what Devon has to say. It's Tuesday, May 8th at 6.50 a.m. This is my first recording, diary recording. I woke up to three police officers and two paramedics at my friend's house. His pregnant girlfriend, who has been up all night smoking crack, was bleeding real bad. So most likely she's losing the baby. I'm dope sick. I feel like I have no food in my body. Um, I threw up probably 10 times over the night from getting high, not from the fentanyl, but from the crack. So I have nothing in my system right now. I'm supposed to be going to parole at 9 a.m. That being said, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I just got home. So that is May 8th after Devin relapsed. He went and went on a bender with some girls he went he met. It was kind of a down down spiral after that. And here's another message he's left. It's kind of funny. I'm sitting here making me a prison meal with ramen noodles and hot chips and sausage. I guess because I don't know if it's because I feel like I want to go back or like I didn't even realize what I was doing. Like I had some hot chips, I had soup, I had a ramen noodle. And I like put it together and realized I was eating a prison meal without even like purposely doing it. So I don't know if it's like my subconscious telling me I'm going ready to go back to prison or what, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Once I get well, I'm going to go to job the family and to my job for 8 o'clock so I can try and get up at the HR department to see if they fax the paperwork over to my case manager at Job and Family Services. Doing everything I I spoke with my parole officer about 15 minutes ago. Um, I just woke up and I feel like shit. I was honest with her, as honest as I could be, and she's giving me basically till Friday at noon to get into treatment. And if I'm not in the treatment by then, I will be arrested. So it is 3.30 on Tuesday. I have basically two days, two and a half days to get into the treatment center I'm supposed to be getting into. So I'm hoping that the insurance kicks in by then. Otherwise, I'm going to jail. I tried telling her everything, not hide nothing. She was kind of a bitch about it. So I guess we'll just see what happens from now until Friday. It's kind of ironic, you know, I had a girl tell me the other day that the STD rate in Toledo is higher than anywhere else in the United States. Well, I picked up a girl on the street this past weekend and had unprotected sex with her. And now I believe I caught chlamydia or another STD because it hurts real bad. I'm actually going to go to the hospital today and get checked out. I'm just waiting to get some 
stuff so I can get well enough to go to the hospital because right now I'm laid up on the couch and I don't want to do anything. It's been a rough, rough couple of days after seeing my friends, girls smoke crack and seven months pregnant last night to seeing my mom to having these to having these old men want to like turn tricks with me and shit. Like that shit's just not gonna happen. Like I had a guy offer me sixty dollars today to basically like have sex with him and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Oh, there's no way in this world I would do that. I would rob him and take his $60 before I would ever degrade myself to sleep with some like 70 year old man. It's just not gonna happen. Luckily, I do have a friend that will help give me well enough to Friday. Devin did get himself well enough to enter a detox facility. He is one of the lucky ones, as up to 80% of drug addicts in America do not have access to affordable detox and rehabilitation services. But this is a difficult road for Devin. He continued to speak with our host, Carla Stevens Tolstoy, throughout his recovery journey. Carla, I'm home. I'm on a detox. Got out today. I feel good. I got my Suboxone back in order. I'm doing intensive outpatient four days a week to start. And I'm also going to be moving to a sober recovery house as soon as Friday. So things are good. I'm back at the apartment. Craig's here. He's off work today. Uh, my mom is still in detox, 
So that's good. She's getting better too. Just wanted to check in with you and let you know that I'm doing good today. I'm sober. I'm on my Suboxone. And the next step is to get into a halfway house here in the city. So thanks again, Carla, for everything. Talk to you soon. I'm just looking through because he would send them to me every day like a diary. It might be controversial that I helped him, but I like Devin. I think he's a good person. I don't feel like I can pass judgment on people. I was ruining lives, destroying families. I'm here to tell y'all that crystal meth is one of the worst drugs in the world. I regret everything I've done, but I'm here to share awareness. At one time, I was one of the biggest crystal meth dealers in Southwest Virginia. So now Devin's in group recovery and he's continuing to do some videos, but we're going to actually have a live conversation and just go back through the few months because it's been a really tough time for him and a really tough time for his mom who's uh, Linda who's here now talking my name is Linda Price and what brought me into recovery is all the problems and issues that drug addiction caused in my life um, I had two overdoses and um, I believe that God put the program of Alcoholics Anonymous into my life and with people I can stay sober one day at a time and with the help of my higher power who I choose to call God. Life is very hard out there and um, if I work even half as hard for recovery as I did for chasing drugs and alcohol, um, my life will be so much better. It is so much better today. Um, I have a relationship good with my son, my significant other, family members, and I am just very blessed. Thank you. Once Devin moved into a sober house in his hometown of Toledo, he was able to speak with Carla and explain where things went wrong and how one decision led to nearly being put back in jail for what likely would have been the rest of his life. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you pretty good. How are you doing? Good. I feel like it's been forever. But yet I it hear... It has been forever. I know, but I, I hear your voice almost every day. So it feels like strange, you know, to be talking to you live. Cause... I'm actually getting ready to go walk out by the van. So that way I'm ready to go when they say... Because they're taking us all to the Walmart in oh. the big white vans. Is that like your favorite thing to do? Well, I get to get out the house. Um and everything so yeah I do like to <clears throat> I do like to get out I was re-listening to your your what do we call them voice entries diary entries today and yeah, I I actually for I forgot about some of them like some of the ones I did like prior to detox and everything and like how and I sounded and stuff it's, like you it's were crazy. you were like at the bottom oh yeah definitely you were close to like giving up uh, yeah, I was pretty much, uh, I really wasn't sure if I was going to get sober again. I know. I mean, obviously that was the plan, but. Are we able. Really... 
it didn't work out. Well, are we able to like go back in time a little bit and then this week we can just talk about, maybe today we can just talk about what happened after, you know, what caused the relapse and then we can this week hopefully talk tomorrow and get more into the next journey. But are you, are you comfortable okay. talking about the relapse? Yeah, I am. Okay. Because of where I'm at now, um, I'm back to where I was at prior to relapsing. And I feel good again. You know what I mean? I feel like I did the first time I ever talked to you when I came when I was out of prison. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like that again. And you feel so, like this time's different, right? You feel more positive this time? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I thought I had it all figured out coming home and having three years to kind of reflect on everything, but apparently I didn't. Well, let's go so, back in time because I'm aware of what led up to your relapse, but, but no one else okay. is. And only share what you're comfortable sharing because I know that there could be other issues associated with it, but I think the first step was that you went to Florida to clear your name and, and do you think going to Florida? Well, well pri prior to that, well, let me ask you, are you, is it okay to, to share about the part you played in, in some of the things or? Yeah, sure. Not, of course. No, that's talk okay. about that or? No, that's, that's okay. We could talk okay. about that. So basically, let's see, before Florida. Okay. So I was working at the car lot dealership and everything was going good. Um, I started going to the Suboxone clinic for maintenance and right away I started selling them for extra money and I didn't even need extra money. I mean, I, I was making good money, but you know, I've always wanted more. I always felt like I needed more. So I started selling the Suboxone and when we went to Florida, it was supposed to have been like a family trip. Like my cousin was going to go, but then she backed out last minute. So like just me and my mom went. And when we, when we, when we landed in Fort Lauderdale, uh, my, one of my ex-girlfriends picked me up and she was doing cocaine and heroin. Like, and like from the airport, it's when we, and did you know, much, it was like a, did you know in your gut that was a bad idea? I mean, you and I had talked a lot about trying to not get caught up with women again, right? Because women are really a big part of your downfall. <laughs> you love women. Yeah, it seems like, <laughs> I love women. I do. And you love women love who women. party. Yes, I do. <laughs> so at that moment, easy, I guess there's so many easy, fast, beautiful women that like to party, and it is definitely my downfall. Yeah. We can say that for sure. Okay, so she picked you up, and when she was like, let's go do some blow, were you just like, yeah, baby? Or were you I'll, like, shit, I'm trying yeah, to get basically, sober? Basically, it was pretty much like, yeah, let's do it. And then, like, my mom's with me, and she is struggling at the time, so she's like, pretty much, fuck it, too. Like, let's. Let's do it now. Now, mind you, I was picked up. I didn't. I don't. I don't find this out till like almost the end of the trip. They picked us up in a stolen car from the airport. What do you Isn't mean they? What? Like, <laughs> okay, Devin, you never told me that part of the story. Okay, they picked you yeah, up in yeah. a stolen car. 
I don't even right. know. Pick like, me and my mom up oh from the Fort Lauderdale airport in a stolen car, but I don't find out it's stolen until like the end of the trip. Okay, and they just say to you, FYI, we can't take the car back to drop you off because it's stolen? No, that never, it never came up until like the end. Okay. So, okay, so we're, in this, so we're in this stolen car, but we don't know it's stolen. So let's see. We drive from Fort Lauderdale back to West Palm Beach where my case and stuff is at, and that's like a 45-minute drive. So once we get back into West Palm, uh, we get a hotel, and she, me and the girl leave, and we go meet her dealer, and we go pick up some crack cocaine and some heroin. And I had brought my whole script of Suboxone down with me on the airplane. Like, I took 52 Suboxone on the airplane with me. Okay, so you were bringing but, you were luck, you were bringing that back to party, like you were planning to party with all that stuff as well as the cocaine, or did you just right, use correct. the suboxone I knew to I sell, could sell sell it? Okay. Yeah, for trade. Yeah, yeah okay, for sell course. or trade. Yeah. So, the Florida trip, I didn't sleep the whole trip. Okay, the night before we went to Florida, I had been up partying a little bit, didn't sleep, got on the airplane, got down to Florida, got up with the ex girlfriend and we just partied we stayed at a hotel the first night now mind you the next day i'm supposed to be going to meet the bondsman and i'm supposed to be going to the jail to do a walkthrough because I'm, I'm on bond I'm, I'm posting a bond and i'm supposed to go to the courthouse and take care of all my tickets and i've been up all night doing cocaine i, I remember and, uh, i remember that message i got from you that's like i've really fucked up i was just like oh no <laughs> How bad is the fuck yeah. up? <clears throat> and <clears throat> it was so bad. You, I it, went it through was, with it. Yeah. yeah, it was bad. It was bad, but at, so, least, I mean, you, at least you weren't hurt and you weren't in jail. Right. That was the blessing. I mean, you could tell I had, I had been up. You could tell I had been up yeah. all night partying yeah. and all that. So I go and meet the bondsman, and he kind of looks at me crazy. And I pay him the money. It was like $200 for him to post my bond. So I rode with him over to the jail. And I had to come inside, you know what I mean? We had to go through the jail. I had to do a walkthrough. Then I had to sign release papers for the bond or whatever. Then from there, I had to go over to the courthouse. And I go in the courthouse, and I'm all, I've am i been up, and I'm paranoid. Um, but I went in there, and I took care of the fines, and I got the warrant blocks removed. So, I mean, I did take care of it. I know. Um, I mean, I think that is a positive, and I think – during these type of times, we have to think about the positive things that you, you push through. I mean, when you were with those two girls, you almost also were part of like a, you almost like fell into a sting operation where you could have been, I mean, the cops showed up yeah. just as you were leaving the hotel and they, they busted people with all their drugs. And at least you had already left the hotel and walking, you know, I mean, you had, right, you, right, had, right, right. You, had you had a guardian angel on your side. It seems like I've had, the, I've had a guardian angel my whole life, it seems like. You and, and, you mean? and you didn't OD at that point, which is maybe another positive. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So let's see. Like I, okay, so we got there Friday. Saturday took care of everything. Saturday night, we still partied. Um, let's see. Sunday, we partied all night and day. We were supposed to leave. Okay, so we're supposed to leave Monday. Our plane leaves at 6 o'clock Monday night. Well, we decide to go down to another part of Florida. It's called Delray Beach. 
I end up leaving the girl I was with, the one that originally picked me up from the airport, and I meet another girl while I'm down there. And I end up at her house. Me and my mom end up at her house. And believe it or not, she knows somebody that's a deal, that does meth or, or does deals with pe- people that deal with meth. And I told them my backstory, my history, how I had got out of prison and how I was this meth dealer and everything. And they all were all like excited to hear this story. So I did some meth like four hours prior to leaving for the airport. Well, so let's just say that we, we missed the flight. <laughs> Me and my mom missed our flight because we waited the last minute um, to get to back, back to the airport to fly out. And we missed our flight and we ended up sleeping in the airport <laughs> till the next morning. I mean, I feel a lot of compassion for your mom right now because she she finds it very hard to forgive herself and she beats herself up. So I feel like this whole time she'd be feeling like shit and feeling like she disappointed and can't control. She does. The and you know, like, I always wanted to throw it in her face that I relapsed after prison because of her. Um, since then, I've literally realized and have really stepped to the plate and realized that it's not her fault. I mean, yeah, she might have played a little bit of a part of it because she was using, but I was clean. I didn't have to go down her path. Well, I think, I, I, I knew think what to do to stay away from it. You guys enable each other. and Oh, um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. and, and sh- I mean, both of you carry so much guilt, and your mother carries so much guilt that sometimes I just want to hug her and say, like, you, you just got to forgive right. yourself. You got to forgive yourself because you can only heal if you accept yeah all of this. And she just can't, she just feels so guilty for not being a better mom in her eyes. Right. And so she was probably going through a lot more emotional anguish than you were. You were probably just going, shit, I need to make sure I don't get caught by the law. Right. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So you guys sleep at the airport. We sleep at the airport. The next morning we catch a flight at 6 a.m. and we fly back to Detroit. And, you know, she's exhausted and I'm, I'm exhausted, um, you know, after being up for about five days. So I drove the car back to Toledo and then I ended up going to work that same day. She went to bed and I had to go to work because I had already missed an extra day for the, missing the flight. So I'm on like two hours of sleep in five days and I go to work. And how actually did, did I had they... a productive day at work. <laughs> Well, what is kind of, I think, difficult for you and many addicts is sometimes the drugs can make you very productive. You know that. You can be better at sales. You can be better at negotiation. You have more confidence. But did they notice that you were kind of off? Well, yeah, definitely. They asked me if there was something wrong with me, and I just told them that I was sick. I mean, I'm pale white. I mean, I just, I, you could just tell that I had been doing something. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. But they pretty much just was like, whatever, you know what I mean? I went to my office and I did my job for the day and I ended up doing well that day. And and, and then nothing was ever said as far as that part of it goes. So that went on for, I'm trying to think. So three days, we're in July. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to think of the the, the time frame. So this is like, I think it was like a Tuesday. I think it was like a Tuesday, right? Right, 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 right. And then you kind of... So I go back to work, but like, yeah, I start partying every day. When I come back, you know, the shit that we did in Florida, I, it continued. 
And I started uh, doing cocaine every day with a couple of different girls. And that's when the situation happened with the girl that posted on Facebook that said I beat her up and put her in the ICU. Yes. You remember that, right? Oh, yeah. This yeah. all happened the same night when my mom overdosed. So me and, the girl, me and the girl are on the south end of Toledo. And I get a phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning saying that my mom is dead, on, is, is dead laying dead on the street. And that they're not going to call 911 because they got a bunch of drugs at the house. So I called 911 from a different side of town. Um, and the police came and got her. When the police came and got her, I took an Uber. I took an Uber over to where it happened at. Now, where it happened at, there was a girl named Ashley that I was talking to at the same time I was dating Chelsea. So this is where the conflict came in. So I show up at Ashley's house with Chelsea. And that's when Ashley beats Chelsea up. And there's a girl fight going on. And meanwhile, your mom's ODing and you're trying to My mom's ODing at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And two girls are fighting and you're just like, this is so much drama. That's, that's what I remember of you going, yeah. I, I'm totally overwhelmed right now with drama. Yeah, it was like I had been... I had been up partying and my mom's in the hospital from an overdose and these girls getting beat up and then I'm getting blamed for it. Like I set her up. Like I had something to do with it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Chelsea felt like I had something to do with it because I brought her over there when I really, the only reason I went over there was just to make sure my mom was okay. I didn't care about nothing else. And then you finally said, no more girls. I'm taking a break from women. Right. And. But that didn't last. I mean, things were, it didn't last. Like. Uh, I was doing really well at work and uh, I started making really good money. So what happened was I nodded out at work off the of Suboxone one day mm-hmm. and my boss came into my office and he seen me nodding out and he didn't want, he didn't fire me, but he basically was like, you need to, I told him that I was on medication that made me drowsy. So he was like, well, you need to prove documentation of that and then we'll take it from there. So I went and got documentation from the clinic that showed that the Suboxone caused drowsiness. And I showed that to him, but he still was like, he's like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you need to resign due to treatment. And I'm going to give you a severance paycheck so you can survive while you go to treatment. And that I need to go get help. And then I can come back to work once I completed treatment is basically how that went. So I got that severance paycheck like three days prior to going to treatment and I just blew, I blew the whole thing, party. Yeah, because that's, you can't, I mean, it's just too addictive, isn't it? I mean, you were going through withdrawals, you were struggling, and then all of a sudden you're broke, right? And you had another two days to try to get through two days to get to detox. Yeah, and then like, well, the day... Uh, you know, I had got money and I was able to get through two detox and I went to detox and I got out of detox and everything was cool. But then like I, from detox, I was supposed to go straight to Joshua treatment center, which was an inpatient for 30 days. Well, they gave me like a gap of time. There was like four days between the detox and the Joshua treatment center. So I was like, well, I'm going to party one last time because why not? Since I'm going to go do 30 days anyway. So then the night before I went to treatment, I hooked up with another girl and 
she did a line of fentanyl and died on my couch. Um, I don't know if, I think, I don't know if I told you about that happening, but so the girl OD'd on my couch and then it was like, what do I do? I, you know, I got my parole officer telling me that if I am involved in any overdoses, that she's going to send me back. But at the same time, if I don't call 911, this girl's going to die. So I called 911, man. I mean, I, I wasn't going to let her die. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how people die all the time. Yeah. It's because people get scared. They don't call. Yeah. So I called. I called 911. My mom came down there. Um, she talked to the police. So that way, my name didn't have to be in nothing. And the girl saved the girl's life. Um, and, you know, Craig is, you know, my stepdad, he is just furious at me about everything. I mean, he let me come there out of prison, and within a few months, I had the police there four times. I had a girl overdose there. Uh, he had to pull a gun out on a guy. I, so he's I mean, uh, got a lot of... I mean, Craig is a saint in many ways. Would you not say? Well, I mean, he is... Yeah, I mean, he he, he does his little stuff, but he has been able to maintain a good job for 20 years yeah. and owns his house and... So he's a, he's a functioning addict. I mean, he yeah. he can he can have a few drinks or or maybe party once in a while and not let it ruin yeah. his life or not let it go out of control. He could turn it off when he yes. needs to. Yes, and with, without Craig, it, you and your mom would be in a different situation. Right. Yeah. I don't know where we would be, where I would be. I mean, he loves your mom so much. It's almost unconditional, and it's... Uh, so that's, you know, your mom Yeah, has I mean, to... for all this shit that she's done, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I think she, she sometimes forgets that if he loves her that much, she's got to be worth something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Which right. she tends to think... And, you know, he, he had told me prior to me getting out of prison that if... That he didn't think it was a good idea for me to come there. And he was like, you know, I'm not going to put you on the street. But, you know, your mom isn't doing so well. And if you come here, you know, your eyes is past in your history. And I was like, well, no, it'll be all right. She'll, she'll, she'll straighten up. And, I mean, everything happened just how he knew it would happen. And, you know, I've caused him a lot of problems. I mean, he's helped me. You know, he gave me all that money to go to Florida. And, and he's always helped me. And I feel so bad for it. You know what I mean? Because I well, do love him. I mean, he's always been there for me. I think he deserves, you know, parent of the year multiple times over, Craig, because he oh, continues yeah, to have faith, even though shit hits the fan all the time. All the time. In the Price household. Yes. So, okay, so your mom, she's, how many times has she OD'd by this time? Twice, three times, three times. Yeah. So she's OD'd three times. You know what I mean? He, the countless amount of times that he, he has given me money and sent me money and done everything. Um, so, yeah, he's angry with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But still continues to hope for the best. Yeah. So, okay. So now you got, yeah. you're doing your party days. The girl almost dies in your house. She gets help. And now you have, what, two days left? Right. It was, it was two days prior to me going to treatment and, or no, there was the night before I went to treatment. So then that morning, Craig basically was like, you have till 12 o'clock to get out or I'm calling your parole officer, telling her everything that happened. And I had like this 
major resentment. I was so angry, like, how could you do that? How could you try to get throw me back in prison? But, you know, I mean, I really wasn't looking at the big picture of everything I had just done to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he had no so, choice. Right. So it was like uh, I had called Joshua Treatment Center like at 9 o'clock in the morning and told them, you know, I need to go to treatment. So they did all my paperwork and everything. And it was like by three o'clock I had to be out there or they wasn't going to take me. So I was able to get out there by three o'clock. And, you know, on the way out there, I had bought a $40 bag of fentanyl and a $40 a $40 bag of powder. And I did them both on the way to Joshua treatment center. Cause I was like, well, shit, I'm going to get high one last time. And it was just crazy. And your mom, did she drive you or did you take an Uber? How did you get there? My mom and my cousin uh, drove me, and I, you know what I mean? My cousin doesn't do drugs. There's never done drugs. I just did the dope in the back seat. Like, I didn't give a fuck, you know what I mean? I was like, whatever. And was your mom, how was she reacting to this? Was she just, just waiting to get I you I mean, she treatment? was upset. She's still kind of using at the time, and she is upset because how Craig is being. But, I mean, he had every right to be like that. But she's playing, you know what I mean? She loves me, but she loves him. So she's on both. She's stuck in the middle. You know what I mean? Because he wants me out and, you know, she doesn't want me to leave. So I really kind of put her in, a, in the middle of everything. You know what I mean? She's getting it from both sides, from him and then from me. I mean, I think the so. reason she gets sober and goes to get help is, for, is because she feels that that's what you deserve. You deserve a mother that's not chasing right. the drug. And, you know, I don't know what you plan on do doing with this recording, if you're going to put it up or whatever, but I hope Craig does hear it or, or has a chance to hear it and can, can know that, you know, I do love him and and I'm just sorry for everything I put him through, you know what I mean? Like, I I can see now everything that I have did, you know what I mean? And, and it, I wish I could go back and take it back. You know, I can't. It's just it's going to take a long time for me to rebuild any kind of trust with him, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to take a long time. I'm going to have to do the right thing for a long, a long period of time before he's even can see a change. Cause I mean, it's just been the same thing my whole adult life where it's just like, Oh, I say I'm going to do good. And I do do good for a little while. And then I just crash and fuck everything up. And that's just how it's always been. I mean, one of the things you talk about in some of the recordings is, you know, you want to die, but you, you don't have the courage to kill yourself, which is, I think a blessing, right? But I feel right. like I feel like you were on a death wish during this time. I mean, you were taking so much drug, trying to OD, trying to kill yourself. Yeah, I mean, I was I mean, doing um, I, I was doing so much fentanyl that you know I made that video that one day a suicide video of myself because I had a fifty bag or whatever of one hundred percent pure fentanyl, and I did the whole bag. And people are dropping over just little, little amounts. And it's, I can't even believe that I'm still here at times. You know what I mean? Like I would wake up so sick and then, and all I wanted was just to get well. And then I would just overdo it every time. And do you, you know what I mean? I mean, you have been in situations where you know that you'll do anything to get the drugs, but you did, you did have some, like boundaries, right? You just, you refuse to ever be in a situation where you would prostitute yourself. I mean, really it got to that, that you, right. you stopped at that, but you can understand why right. so many people don't. Right. I, right. 
I mean, I, I mean, I would have, I would have robbed somebody though, or I would have set somebody up. I mean, it was that bad. Um, but yeah, no, I would have never done that. Uh, I mean, it was presented to me, but I, I, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I, the same way I couldn't kill myself, I couldn't do it. And do you think your mom has a death wish as well? Do you think that she feels like she just can't do it anymore? Uh, well, she's actually for the most part, been doing better. She goes to IOP. She's been clean since June 9th. So she's been clean since then. And I just hope that she gets it this time. I'm, I've separated from her. Uh, you know, I'm no longer, we're no longer side by side every day. Like we've been for my whole life. I'm staying at a sober house. And how's, so, how, what's different this time? Do you think? Because you, you said to me many times you feel more optimistic this time around. Right. I don't, I mean, I just, I guess after the 20 plus relapses um, and then going to prison and just doing all that, like, I'm just tired. You know what I mean? Like, I tried to beat the odds or I tried to, like, do shit, like, and hide it from my parole officer, but she found out every time. So. And what about your what about your your daughter? I never got to see my daughter. I had reached out to try and see my son, but the the state has custody of him. I lost all my rights while I was in prison. They had a court hearing, and my baby mom didn't go, and she lost all her rights and lost all her kids. And when I tried to reach out to the state, they basically said that there was nothing that they could do. That the only chance that I had was if there was an open adoption, then I could maybe see my son. Otherwise. Like, I, I had no way to get them. There was nothing that they would do for me. They said when I lost my rights, there was a, there was a point of time where I could appeal it, but I was still in prison. I wasn't, there was no way for me to appeal anything, being locked up, but they said it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Do you think that he's already been adopted, your son? Still in, he's still in state custody, man. And when I was doing real well right, right there when I got out, I... I reached out to people and tried to do everything I could to get him, and it was just closed doors everywhere. I, every way I looked, every which way I looked, it was just, I mean, you know, unless there's something that I don't know or they're not telling me that I'm missing, but from what I've looked up, from what I've been told, the only chance I have is for an open adoption to where I could have it, I could see him. And what about your daughter? How's she doing? She just turned 11 in February, and... You know, she's still with the baby mom and her husband, and uh, it's been, it's going on, it's going on six years since I've seen her. You know, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I have a lot to do, a lot of stuff I need to do for myself right now to rebuild some, like, you know, some variety in myself and, and to stay sober and for... I can even begin to want to see my kids, you know what I mean? How old would your son be now? He's seven. And how, what do they tell him? Like, what do they tell him about his mom and his dad? I'm assuming nothing. You know, I don't really know. You know, I don't really know how a state foster home works. All I know, I mean, I know it's probably not good. But I'm sure they're not explaining to him anything about me or the, or the, the mom. So which state would he be in? He's in, he's in Toledo. He's oh, he's in, in Toledo. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, okay. Is he staying with a family, do you think, or in a home group? No, home? he's actually in the foster home group or the home group 
she had two other kids and they're both all three kids are there only one of them was mine but yeah all three kids are there and she's on the streets shooting heroin every day and have you heard from her or talked to her or anything she tried to reach out to me one time on Facebook and wanted money from me. And when I tried to bring up the kids, it was just like, don't talk about the kids. That's done. It's basically like she didn't want to talk about it because she knew she fucked up. You know what I mean? She didn't want nothing. She didn't want to speak about it at all. She didn't ever want to talk about the kids when she, she would message me. I mean, that must be heartbreaking for her. Yeah. And not, and not a unique story because the drugs always come first. Right. So is one of your goals you know, to to get to get back a relationship with them? I mean, yeah, I would love to. Now, with my daughter, I signed the birth certificate, and I still have rights that were put in place back in 2011. And I called, and my rights are still good. Uh, they don't ever, like, expire. So that would just pretty much be me reaching out because she blocked me off social media, and then so I have to file a petition to say that she's not going by the guidelines, and then I would have to bring her to court, and then I would have to reset. Uh, we would have to sit down in front of a magistrate and reset the condition. And on your son's side, is there any grandparents that could step in? No, because my dad's dead. Her mom and dad are both dead. How did they die? Um, so my mom. The mom killed the dad. She went to prison. Then when she got out, she drank herself to death and, and, and died from uh, liver failure. She killed her husband? What? What? Yeah, she killed her husband. I guess he was an abusive, He was abuse, abusing her. Like yeah. She was in an abusive relationship, and she stabbed him to death. And she went to a prison for five years for manslaughter. And, and then, then when she got out, she basically just drank herself to death. And where was her daughter during this time? Uh, when she went to prison, you mean? Yeah. She was raised by her aunt, which was her mom's sister. That's like a really shitty life that she's had to deal with. Yeah. And has she been on the streets a long time? Like, has she lived the life of a drug addict? Actually, no. Like, when I got with her, I was on heroin, and she had never done a drug in her life. And to this day, I've never used with her because she wasn't the type of girl that'd be like, oh, let me try it. She was like, you know, you're a piece of shit, you're not going to use drugs in my house type of girl. And then here I come to find out later when I get out of prison that she turned into a heroin addict. It was like, it, I was shocked. How do you think that happened? I know when her mom died, she went into a deep depression and she had, you know, she always had her mom for support for like to babysit the kids and to live with her and to watch the kids. So I believe when her mom passed away, she pretty much just went completely under. And she has three kids. Who Who's the, who's the baby daddy for the other Two. Um, I don't know him, but I know the one is in prison for arson. He burned down some buildings and he got a long prison sentence. And the other one, I want to say, is locked up as well. I don't know any information about him, but I know both her baby daddies are locked up. So if, if she's on the streets, there's a good chance that she's having to prostitute herself to make drug money oh yeah i believe that yeah definitely 100 percent. and how old would she be she wouldn't be very old now who her uh, yeah my baby's mother yeah she would be let's see i'm 29 so she's probably 26 that's a really rough life yeah, i mean nothing has gone well yeah. for her 
right? And so, yeah, nothing. Like, happened. how do we how do we stop that cycle? Because like, then the kids end up in foster care, and then it just keeps going and going. And she's had a really shitty, like, shitty life so far. Like, how did? Yeah, how- I mean, she would have to want to go get help though. Like, there's nothing like until she decided that she was good and, and wanted to wanted to change. You know what I mean? There's not really nothing anybody can do. No. No, no, and I think that you and I have had that discussion many times. And right, right. Like you can't force anyone to get help or or tell them to get help. They have to want it. Correct. I mean, the work that you're doing now. Do you do you feel that it's like what? Oh. Do you, why do you feel it's more effective? Oh, are you there? What'd you say? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. How come you think this time's going to be a difference? Is it the program as itself? Is it the people? Is it your mindset? Yeah, I I think it's the program. The fact that I'm no longer like with my mom every day. Um, I can focus on myself more. And um, there's a lot of good support here. I've met a lot of guys and I have a good support, support system. And, you know, my parole officer isn't playing, you know, she is happy that I'm where I'm at and doing what I'm doing, but there is no more mess ups. There's no more second chances. If I mess up again, I have a 32 year back sentence that I will serve if I violate. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes organizations, and groups that we're passionate about, and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. And how long do you get to be in this in this group home? I can live there up to two years. Oh, well, that's actually really positive. Right. You know, I'm on restrictions and stuff right now, so I can't really work, so I'm kind of struggling with money. but. After 60 days, I can go back to work. I'm going to reach out to the car lot dealership and go back to work there. And uh, so that's the plan. I mean, they're a pretty forgiving employer. Right. Well, I mean, I was really good at my job, too. Yeah. So 
But you know, a lot but of hey, people. I'm actually getting ready to walk into Wal. I'm okay. getting ready to walk into Walmart. Okay, no worries. That was perfect. Enjoy your your Walmart shopping. Now, on with Devin's story. Carla spoke with him again a few days after our last interview, and he takes us through the steps of his rehabilitation and gives us an update on his mother, Linda, who we featured in episode 47 and has unfortunately sunk back into her own addictions. And dropping down, I dropped down four milligrams, and it's kind of a lot to drop down. You're only supposed to really do two at a time, but I, I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I don't want to be on this shit no more. Kind of doing four at a time. So I'm, I'm feeling, I'm definitely feeling it. Like, how do you right. feel right now? Just real fatigue, like real weak. Like I have no energy whatsoever to even like want to do anything. All I want to do is sleep. I really have no appetite. And so could um, you, will you go to bed after we chat and just sleep right till the morning? No, I won't actually probably go to bed. I'll probably lay in bed and just watch the movies and just chill out. And do, um, like, is your mind racing? Like how, what are, what, what's going on emotionally for you? A little bit. It's kind of like, I'm almost like, man, did I do this too early? Should I have, cause things have been so great with just being on the two, but you know, it's like, did I, I mean, I'm not thinking about using or nothing, but this is, I guess the first time, but you know, I, I, a counselor told me, I had a one-on-one -on -one with the counselor and he told me, you know, Devin getting sober, and being sober, you're going to have to be uncomfortable at times. You're going to have to go through un uncomfortability, and uh, that's part of the process. So I guess, you know, I just need to suck it up and just hopefully in a couple of days, it'll, it'll, my medication will balance out to where I'm at right now. And, and do they ever, like do they ever like support that with antidepressants or something else? Like how do they manage the mood swings? They do have. I'm not on anything else. I don't take any medications at all. Nothing for depression or anxiety, none of that. I kind of want to like not be on nothing. Like I don't want to be on, I don't want to be on any medications at all. Kind of like my goal. And what about if you're feeling like, like what about when you, do you feel sad very often? Like, do you feel anxious? Like what are some of the emotions you feel? Yeah, I, feel you know i get anxious at times and you know my, when i start thinking about you know the job i had in my apartment when i came home from prison and now i'm like back at square one again and worrying about my mom and all that and so yeah there's definitely with all that and can we talk about your mom can you talk about what's been happening in the yeah, last we can, few days we can do that we can if you want to tape it or record it that's fine so maybe you can talk so, a little bit about what's been going on there. Well, everything has been good. She has her own like IOP class and things she's doing, um, intensive outpatient treatment she's doing to stay sober or was to stay sober. But then like two days ago, like I like around dinner time, I had real like she always calls me every day, like in the middle of the day or sometime. I just hadn't I just had realized like around dinner that I hadn't heard from her. So I called her and got no answer. I waited a little while. I called again and didn't hear from her. And then a few hours went by and it was already going on night seven, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Still haven't heard from her. I already pretty much know what it is, unless it was some really big emergency or something really bad happened. 
So I texted my stepdad and was like, you heard from my mom, uh, what's going on? And he was like, she's back at it again. She hasn't been home, is what he told me. And back at it? What What do you think Back at it as far as, like, getting high. And before she didn't used to use, like, heroin or stuff like that, she was always more crack, wasn't she, or meth? Yeah, just crack. And, like, I texted her and was like, call, you know, I'm worried about you. Please call me and let me know you're okay. Please don't do no heroin. You know what I mean? Because I know the cocaine really realistically won't kill her. I mean, I guess it could, but it's not like heroin. You know what I mean? Where, you know, at any given moment, you could die from doing heroin. And do you think she'll listen to you? Like, do you feel confident she would listen to that? I mean, I've heard from her. She she did call me after I sent that message and kind of was like, try to make up an excuse where she had been. And I was just like, you know, I did talk to Craig and then she kind of just was silent for a second and then just hung up. And, you know, I've talked about it in group. I've talked about it with counselors because I've learned now to know that like, I can't leave these things bottled up inside that I need to get them out and talk to them about to people. When something is wrong or bothering me, I have to tell people, uh, that's, you know, a coping mechanism and a way to heal is, is by sharing and telling and talking about it. And, you know, I just have to let her get her own evidence and she's just going to have to do what she does. And it, as much as it might hurt me, I cannot lose focus of what I'm doing. And it's another reason why, you know, I came to this place instead of going back to my apartment, being under the same roof as her, because it was one of the triggers that, that I relapsed in the first place. I mean, it wasn't her fault, but just, you know, her seeing it and being around it. So I talked to her a little while ago, and I guess she's with Craig. You know, he's such a big enabler. And he let her come back home, and so she's safe. So, I mean, it is what it is for today, I guess. Why do you you think Craig keeps forgiving her? Because he's he's in love with her, and I know that feeling when you love her. A, a woman and you'll pretty much do and put up with anything that they do because so I guess the love is strong enough that he just puts up with it you know he he tries to say that he's going to put his foot down and, and not allow her to live there or make her go to treatment but he never does and I don't believe she'll ever be able to stay sober unless he does I, you know if there's no consequences behind behind the action, then, then, then why would you ever, why, why ever stop? What do you think pushes her? What do you think that this was the trigger last time that pushed her back out there? Just, I think it's more or less just boredom. You know what I mean? She's on disability and has, she doesn't really have that many friends. And when he's at work, you know, she doesn't really have much to do. She doesn't really have no hobbies or anything like that. So like you know what i mean you after you know the boredom sets in and you you start getting in your head and i believe that's more or less what happens and could she she could she i mean she's she's got a lot of medical issues so it's hard for her to to have a job which makes it more challenging for her but she does like to do volunteer stuff and she did like to help out in her different communities right she needs to just meet sober women is what she needs to do. She needs to get active in the sober recovery community. You know what I mean? She needs to, to fill her time up with 
with things, you know? I don't really know what she enjoys doing. You know what I mean? Birthday's coming up. Her birthday is Sunday. So, you know, I'm going to use some of the the money you sent me and I'm going to buy her a, a birthday card and some flowers or something for her birthday. Yeah, that'll make her so happy, right? I mean, she just... I think it's really important for her to feel like she's a good a good mom and I know that's hard right now for you because you just you just want her to be sober and right and help you through your whole sobriety. In your in your program, do you meet many other people whose moms also or parents suffer from addiction and they kind of go through it together? Yeah, and you know, actually my sponsor, he really helped me out because his mom passed away from an overdose. And he actually used to use with his mom like I did. So like I could, he could, I could definitely relate. And what's really crazy, like how like ironic this is, but his mom passed away on my birthday three years ago. And like without me ever knowing him or knowing anything about him, when he told me the day she died, I was just like, wow, on my birthday. How did he heal? How did he get past that? Just by being there for the rest of the family. He's got like five years clean now, and he at one time he was one of the biggest cocaine dealers in Toledo, and he's got five prison numbers and been in the streets his whole life, and now he is sober, and he is a case manager out at the treatment center I was just at, and a counselor. So when you hear those stories, do you just feel so much hope? Like, do you just feel like, okay, yes, yes, this can, yes, I, that yeah, could be the same like, for me. Yeah, seeing where he came from and being in the streets just like I was, it gives me so much hope. And that's why he's my sponsor, because I can relate so much. And he's going to, when I get off restrictions, you know, we pretty, it's like he took me under his wing. He's going to teach me how to stay sober. He's going to work me through the steps, 12 steps. And he's going to take me to meetings with him. And, you know, if I stay sober long enough, he said I would be able to get a job out there where I went to treatment at. And when people get sober, is one of the hardest things is to learn how to deal with real emotions, like, because you have to deal with feelings. I mean, because when you're an addict, you just, you take the drugs to escape your feelings. Yeah, it can be very hard, you know, all those emotions that you've been suppressing all the years on drugs, all that comes to the surface. And that's why a lot of, you know, a lot of people do need outside help as far as medications, antidepressants, because there's been so much in their life that's caused, you know, so much trauma in their life that they pretty much have to be on some kind of medication. Like when, you, when you're in bed at night, how do you relax your mind so you don't start thinking negative thoughts or self-talk or, or think about old, you know, old memories? Like, how do you do that? I, I meditate and I pray, and that's something that's been taught to me and suggested to me. And I do that every night, and it really helps. You know, I have a higher power that I choose to call God, and I just sit there and I talk to him. And it's it's great. Like, it's something I've never really done in my life, and it helps so much, so much. The, for for all the when you're in you how many times have you been in um, uh, recovery in, in a recovery professional place like you are now you know like where you live there at least at least ten at least ten other times and 
when you're there, can you predict who's going to relapse or do you just never know? Because it could be the person you least expect. A lot of times you never know, but then again, there are, there are, there are some people that, uh, I mean, you could just tell, like, I see behaviors in people that are things that I used to do. And, you know, and like a buddy of mine, he switched to methadone and he acts, I mean, that methadone gets you high. And I've tried to talk to him, but everybody just has to figure out for themselves. It doesn't matter how much you tell somebody something. They pretty much just have to go through it. You know is, yours, I mean? is yours co-ed? Uh, no, they have a women's house out back. Okay. It's got about 50 women. It's got about 50 women in it. But we go to meetings and we're in class and everything together. We eat together. And, but you're not allowed to have any romantic relationships. Correct. And so, do, you, do you find there's many women there that you're interested in? I mean, is that hard for you, or are you just so focused when you're recovering? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm really focused. I mean, there's cute girls over there, and at times I, like, look at them and want to talk to them, but I don't know. I feel more focused than I've ever been, and I'm not really, not really worried about that right now. I've never been able to have no success with women in early recovery, so. Yeah, that's really good. And do you think that, like, having a roommate helps a lot? I mean, is there a reason why they put people together? Does it? Yeah, they try to kind of, like, put somebody in your room that's, you know, closer to your age. And what's crazy is the roommate that just moved in yesterday, he was my roommate out at Joshua Treatment Center. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, and, and he ended up finishing the program, and then, like, he came over. When I got back from class yesterday and I walked in and like, I knew I was going to have a new roommate and I'm like, man, I hope it ain't somebody, you know what I mean? Like whatever. And I go in there and it was, it was him. His name's Dustin. And I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're my roommate. Like, this is crazy. What, ma- what makes a good roommate versus not a great roommate? Well, my last roommate, like didn't like to shower and like he was very, had very poor hygiene, you know, it's best that a, a roommate that has their own stuff, just like it is in prison. Like, I know people come, are coming from the streets and a lot of them don't have nothing, but if you, it, it's, if you have this, any kind of help, whether it's family help or a friend or whatever, because like, we're not allowed to work. So it's better, you know, I worked out that I have somebody who his, his mom helps him out and everything, you know what I mean? Because I don't mind helping somebody out, but I can't take care of somebody. I can't even take care of myself. Yeah. Okay. So, and do do you are there a lot of people that come from the streets and just come in with nothing? And right. Yeah, there are. And I mean, literally nothing. Coming from detox centers and coming from missions, and and they have nothing. And has, um, has but they do provide you three meals a day here. So you you, it's not like, but you know you got guys that want to smoke and all that and and are constantly asking people for cigarettes and. You know, I mean, like I said, I can't afford my own cigarettes. I can't be handing out, handing out stuff. I can't. And has their family given up on them or they don't have family? Like, is it usually a common story of just no more relationships common, It's left? like a combination of both. Either like they've just uh, burned all their bridges or, you know, you'll find that there will be older guys that are just, you know, older in age and then they just don't have no family left. So it's a, it's a combination of both. You see more like younger people my age that have more family support and support from 
the community more than someone that was, say, my mom's age. Do you think a lot of the, do a lot of the addicts, I mean, okay, I want to be careful how I word this question, but do you, like, is there a lot more of trauma, trauma that's faced because they've had to sell themselves for money for drugs? Would that be common? Would that be like 10% of people might do that or? That's very uncommon in, in like the guy's house. Now, like in the women's house, you know, that's probably more like a 95% of the women over there have done that. Now, why not the male house? I mean, there's also a lot of. Well, I mean, maybe, but it's, it's, that's more or less something that's swept under the rug. And I would never be able to see, I mean, I would never, you would never know if somebody had, I'm sure it's here and it's happened, but, but it, it's not something that you so, can really pinpoint. So it wouldn't be talked about. People would keep that as another secret. Right. And do people talk about their kids very often? Yeah. There's a lot of people in here that have kids and everything. And like on Wednesday nights, they have. Uh, visitation and you'll have families that you know so there's a there's a quite a few guys that their kids come up here and see them and everything is that is that like a, a very difficult topic for people to talk about a group it is you know and, it, and it's hard for me at times because I haven't seen my kids in a long time are you able you know? to keep up with your son to see where he's at in the system, or have you lost even the rights to even re- request information? Correct. I'm not allowed. If I even call and ask, they won't. They won't even tell me anything. It's it's so sad that I'm not even allowed to know how he's doing, or if he's in school, or I'm not allowed to know anything. Do you know whether he's healthy or? No, like I said, I don't know nothing. And you can't um, talk to the mom because she's still on the streets. Right. And she's not allowed to know nothing either. She's in the same position I am. She lost all her rights as well. So she's not allowed to know nothing either. And is there any way your parole officer could get contact back with the system to see if you could reopen those that? conversation my only chance is to hire a lawyer an attorney that works directly with stuff like that so um, my my counselor who i was just uh were um so my counselor that was okay seven days a week i was in um a class called partial hospitalization and my counselor had a lawyer that she was using to deal with custody issues for her divorce and and to see her kid so she actually gave me the phone number to call i'm going to call her and find see if i can find out anything so that's the plan as far as that goes. And and how does it how does it work with like adoption? So he, so somebody could foster him and then move to adoption, or somebody could adopt him right now. Yeah, they could adopt him, and if the, the whoever adopts him, if they agreed to an open adoption, 
then I would be allowed to know things. I would be allowed to see them. Basically going to be up to the parents that adopt him, whether or not they feel like he should know his real biological parent. Is that very common? I mean, it, it goes both ways. It's, I really don't know. I don't know how common it really is. I mean, I've heard of it being done, but I don't really know how common it actually is. How's your rapper guy doing? Uh, he's doing good. Um, I told him that I, I talked about you a little bit and that maybe that we'd make a GoFundMe account to try and get some studio time and everything, and he was happy to hear that. He actually wrote a new song, and we're going to wait to see if we can get in the studio to record it. Um, he wrote another song about recovery, and it's I've, I'm the only one that's heard it so far, and it's really good. And have you looked into, I guess, I mean, right now, I mean, you got to just focus on your yourself, but have you looked in to see what, like, studio time is like around there? Like, how do you, like, costs and all that stuff? Well, I found a guy who has a studio and said that he would do a two-song mix for 100 bucks, And I think that's pretty pretty fair because usually it's by the hour. Oh, my gosh. So that's that's really good. That's amazing. Yeah, he's he's willing to work with us and do two songs for 100 bucks. Oh, well, that's, so, that's great. Yeah. So that's the route we're probably going to go. And, uh, when we and get off restrictions and get, and get a, little, a little bit of money and everything. How long does it take to get off restrictions? Uh, just 60 days, and I'm about 30, a little over 30 days in. So I have about about the third week of August I'll be off. And how many days does he have in? Uh, he has a little longer than me. He'll probably get off like a week before I do. Okay, that's, that's, so. that's pretty good. That, and then once you get the yeah. singles out, and then what do you do? And then what was that? Once the get the singles mixed, then what's the next step? Get them out there. I'm gonna, I want to get them on the radio. Once we record the music, I'm going to go down to, there's a couple of different radio stations, and I'm going to talk to some of the DJs, and I'm going to see if I can get them to listen to it and to see what they think and if they would put it on the radio. You know, of course, I'm going to put it on Facebook, and I'm going to start a Twitter account for him because he he's not real far as like social media and the internet and stuff he's not real you know got a lot of what can do that kind of stuff but i can so i'll be making a twitter account an instagram account for him and we'll get the, and i'm gonna get his music out there oh that's great that sounds like a really good plan yeah hey i'm gonna walk in here to this meeting they're having a meeting yeah no no that's good okay so the date today is monday september 10th so maybe you could give us a summary of how your summer was, the ups and the downs. Okay, so I'm a little over four months sober now. That's awesome. So the summer was... Right, the, that's awesome. It is, Congratulations. It is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. The summer was kind of slow for me uh, just because I was on like a 60-day restriction when I got to the Zep Center, the group home where I'm at. So I was more or less just required to just go to my treatment classes and then just go back home. I was on like a restriction. I couldn't leave. So I went from Joshua Treatment Center right to there. And I went through 60 days of that. I've now been off restriction for, I don't know, going on three weeks. So, so what does off restriction allow you to do now? Now I am free to have an 11 p.m. curfew. 
I uh, can sign out to 11 o'clock and I can start looking for a job now. So I have that going on. I went down to a place. It's called Ohio Means Jobs. It's a government-funded place where it helps felons look for work. So I went down there and I did a resume. And I put my resume on a website called Indeed. So now I'm just more or less waiting on um, my resume is public. So I've applied to probably over to 20 different places. And companies can also see my resume. And so I'm what, hoping to hear, hear something soon. What kind of jobs are you applying to? And what is your expectation for responsibility and for, for money? I'm looking... Well, you know, I'm looking for sales. I mean, you know that. I'm looking for a desk job, something that I can work inside. I've, uh, I've actually, well, in the last week, I was actually hired to a, a company through Medicaid. Are you familiar with Medicaid at all? I mean, I don't know if that's what you guys, you guys don't have Medicaid in Canada, I don't think. I mean, that's your subsidized... Right. Rehab and, and detox centers, right? Those are the government-funded ones? or Right. Well, Medi Medica Medicaid is government-funded insurance in the United States. So that's what Medicaid is. Is, and that, is, I that, actually, is that the same as, like, Obamacare? Basically. Okay. Right. So I had, I had an interview for a third-party company that works for Medicaid. And I went through the interview process, and they gave me the job paying $15 an hour. Well, then they were like, well, we need to run a background check on you. So then, of course, when they ran the background check and all my methamphetamine distribution charges came up, they were like, we can't hire you for our company. So it was very discouraging, you know what I mean? I'm, a, I, I'm overqualified for the position, and, you know, but just because – of my record, they're not going to hire me. They're going to probably end up hiring somebody else who is less qualified because he doesn't have a record. And I just think that sucks. So that's how society is. You know what I mean? Well, and, and what number detox is this for you? 15, uh, at least. So if people saw that, they might also be worried that maybe this is just another, you know, another right. detox and you'll relapse again. And that's probably very realistic based on your history. So what do you think is different now? Well, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do things different this time. I mean, for someone that sees that, um, they're probably, you know, I'm still where I'm still early in sobriety. And I, I've had four months clean multiple times. So it's, it's going to be hard to really get someone to think that I'm more serious than I was in the past. And the only thing I can do is just continue to do the right thing. And, and, and then the more months of sobriety that I gain, it, maybe then people are going to, it's going to take time. I, I don't know if anyone maybe can take, can take me serious right now. I know I'm serious within myself, but for, for anyone else to see that, it would it, be very difficult for someone to actually really believe me, you know? Well, what about your mom? How's she doing? Let's talk about that because that's been a real stress for you over the summer. Man, it's it's nothing's changed. She wants to get clean, but she can't get clean. She is still using. She went to a detox for like seven or eight days. Left early, right before she, you know she gets disability check on the first of every month. So on the first of Let's see. 
the first of September, she gave me her pay card and wanted me to hold it from her so she wouldn't spend her money. Well, of course, the day her pay card got loaded, she's blowing me up at all hours of the night, wanting her money, wanting her card back. And I wouldn't give it to her for that first, the first night I wouldn't give it to her. But it just became too much, Carla. After that first night, and she wouldn't leave me alone about it. I mean, I it was out of my hands. I gave it back to her because I talked to some guys about it in sobriety, and they were like, you know, you can't save your mom, and all she's doing is holding you back. And you have to just distance yourself from her and let her do what she's going to do. And there's nothing you can do about it. And how so, how many times has your mom? OD'd now? Three times. And that's only three times that you know of. Right. And is she, what do you think's holding her back from getting clean? I don't know. It's, it's, that, that crack's really got a hold of her mentally. I, I don't, what I honestly think is, I don't think she can get past her parents passing away. She still, I believe, carries that with her every day. And I don't think she can get past it. I don't know if she ever will. And does she, I mean, I, I see that on Facebook, she, she tags you a lot in posts and she always tries to tell you how much she loves you and how, she, how she's proud of you. How do, how do you handle all that and still try to keep sober when the easy route is go home to your mom you know, spend time with right. her and then perhaps fall back into the same routine of using. Right. I mean, I'm glad that she's proud of me. I mean, I know that by me continuing to do the right thing, maybe she'll see that it's really working for me and maybe she'll take it serious at some point. I know, I finally realized, I know right now there's nothing I can do for her. Well, how, does she, how, does, how does she continue to get the money to use? Well, basically, it's more like, well, she doesn't really have bills because Craig takes care of all the, like, finances of the home. So it's more or less she uses, you know, she gets, a I think it's like $1,000 on the first. She parties that up. She makes that last forever how long? A few days. Not long. A few days. After that, it's more or less just asking him for money. $20, you know, taking $20 from him here or there to get money from him. Have you, you know, talked, have you talked with Craig and said, okay, maybe we got to just let her reach a new low and not give her any more money? I mean, I know that's I hard to do. I know that's hard to do. Right. And he won't do that because he loves her. I mean, I, and I get it. I know the love, you know, the love for somebody and it's hard to really completely cut them off, you know, and he's never going to like put her out or tell her he can't, you know. Which really, maybe that would be the best thing for her, but I don't know. Would it really? I don't know. Put her on the streets, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. It's you know, very, it's very difficult. Safe home to go. She, you know, she has a safe home to go to every night. I know, and at I know, that, I know. that people like to say, like to give advice and, and just let them hit an all-time low, but I empathize with you and Craig. I don't know. I mean, I found it even really hard to have you, someone that I've never met, only talked to, to, to reach an all-time low. So I can't imagine, you know, somebody right. that's family reaching an all-time low. 
And then, you know, not only the, the emotional part, you know, I, I see my friends, some of my friends who have their families help them financially. And, you know, like being sober and still struggling and, you know, I can't sell drugs because I'd either end up back in prison or end up back where I was. And then, you know, that's the first thing I always think of. And it's the first thing I want to do. It's like when I don't have any money for cigarettes or for food, it's like, well, I could go get a pack fronted to me and sell that, make some money and be able to survive, you know? And that's the first thing I always think of. I don't do it, but it's just so hard. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you've helped me and I appreciate it. Everything, I mean, you know, and it's helped me get by some, but it's still, I'm out here struggling. Well, and how, how, you know, what, how long do you think it's going to take for you to find any job, just a job that can help pay the bills? I'm hoping soon a guy had offered me um, to go do like some labor work, moving blocks. I was supposed to have actually went today, but because of this weather, it was put off. So I'm hoping maybe next week I'll be able to at least like work a few hours to where I can, I can actually just survive enough to buy myself food and cigarettes. Don't have to ask somebody for nothing until I can get a job. I mean, my resume is out there. I put in at least five applications a day. I'm just, just more or less a waiting process. I'm just, you know, I'm hoping something, something, something gives here soon, you know? I mean, one of the things that you and I have talked about, and I know as part of sober living, is not to get in a new relationship. Right. But <laughs> you have... But gotten to a new a, relationship right i have a girlfriend and i will and you were you were gone so i wasn't able to run it by you <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about her she's awesome she's got almost seven months clean she doesn't live at the recovery house which is a good thing because you can get kicked out for being in relationships with women that live in the house so and a lot of guys do a lot of guys get caught up with them girls over there and they get kicked out for it. It's stupid. So she doesn't do that. Um, she is working. She just started a job. So she helps me out some, I mean, but she just started, she just started working. So she hasn't really, you know, got a paycheck yet, but what, what she lives her with job? her sponsor. What's her she's job? Like a, she's like a server, not a server, but a hostess okay. at a restaurant. Okay. So. And she lives with she her sponsor? Like right, and her sponsor has about five years clean. Um, she's on methadone, so she's doing good. And we have our recovery separate. Like, I go to my meeting, she goes to her meeting. We do go to some together, but we keep our recovery separate. You know, we, she's working a lot now, so we don't get to spend much time together, but we get to spend some together. Do, but, you, do you think it really is someone that you have fallen in love with or do you think it's because it's very lonely to go through recovery and you are addicted to relationships you always like right, to have girlfriends means, yeah my counselor even told me that too i am addicted to relationships codependent yeah i can recognize the codependency i need to always be with somebody it seems like and how do you not fall into that trap because it starts off really good, your new relationships, and then it becomes right. very toxic. Right. Well, we've been together a little over a month, 
and we're just, you know, kind of taking things slow. I mean, uh, she knows a lot about my past relationship. You know, I cut off all the other girls. I made it a point to, for her to know what I was doing with trying to get money from all these other girls to cut them off, to let her know that, like, I am trying to be with just her. And I've been sincere to that. So it is just her. So, I don't know. Things are good. I mean, we know we had to have our boundaries because if she were to use, I, I told her from when we got together, if she were to use, that I, I, I couldn't be with her. And it's the same way, way for me if I were to use, you know. So we have that established not to bring each other down do, do, does if your, something were to happen. Does your gut instinct tell you that this is too soon? Uh, at times it does, but at the same time, you know, I, you know, I've always, my emotions and everything have always got the best of me. So, and I'm invested now with her, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm not gonna just cut it off or nothing. Does she have a healthy relationship with her family? Uh, no, her mom's passed away and most of her family lives in Florida. So... She's pretty much up here on her own. And she came up here to get sober and went and moved into a, went to detox and went to a recovery house and spent five months in a recovery house where she was pretty much locked down all the time. So she uh, is kind of just kind of under the same boat as me as far as getting some freedom back. Has she um, been in trouble with the law before? No, not really. No, she's never been to prison. She was never, she never was a prostitute or escort in her addiction ever, which is rare to find these days in a woman. And, you know, and I believe her, you know, I mean, I know she could tell me anything, you know, because I don't know one way or the other, but I, I truly believe her. I can just tell by the type of girl she is. I don't believe she ever was. Does Not she, saying that she couldn't have been, but I really don't think she was. Does she have kids? Uh, she does. Her kids are... She has two kids that are in Virginia and one that's in Florida. And it's kind of crazy because she's, she lived in Virginia at one time. Now, me never knowing her, she was in Florida and then she was in Virginia. Isn't that crazy? Are those like hot spots for addicts to travel to? Not, no, not really. <laughs> well, Florida is. Florida, Florida is, is pretty but hot. Not, not but for- not Virginia. I think it's just crazy. Like, but doesn't Virginia have a lot of meth labs? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's another, because there's a lot of country that you can go and, right? There's a lot of land that you can go right. out and, what was her addiction? What's her? Um, heroin and Xanax. Okay. And crack. Okay. Well, I think, I think it's just so early for you. It is. And even like the director at the facility I'm at pulled me into her office and was like, you know, it's, it's too soon. It's too soon. But, and I know that, and I know the dangers in it, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to be careful. You talked about having it be different this time, yeah. but you're doing something that is always what you've done, and that's get into a relationship with another addict that's in recovery, but still an addict. Right. Does yeah. that give you a little bit of alarm? Because a lot of a times... You fall into the party zone with girls. I mean, when girls start to party, you find that really exciting. 
Right. But I don't, I cannot, it's been like, it has been so much work to get to this point this time, like more work than it has ever been. It feels like, like, like from, from where I was, when you talked to me, when I was still using to do and dope stick to detoxing, to going out there to that center for 30 days, then going through another 60 days of restriction. Like I've had a fight for my sobriety this time. I mean, I have no doubt it's, it's pretty courageous when people are able to go through recovery because addiction, as we know, it's, it's not a choice, right? You're, the chemistry in your brain changes and your body needs right. it. Um, so it's really a physical, mental, emotional withdrawal. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you have to be thinking, what are all the things that could make it harder to stay on this path? And women is one of your, is one of your vices and one of your downfalls and one of the things that leads to relapse. Right, but I swear that I'm not going to let her bring me down. Like, if she uses it, I will. I will leave her. I don't care what feelings or what emotions are involved. I'll end it. Because relationships get boring after a while, right? They're exciting for the first, you know, six months, maybe a year, and then it gets monotonous, and you know, it becomes right. a life. And then life's not so exciting because there's a lot of shit you have to deal with. And with you guys, you having your child, her having her three kids, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it is. And with your mom, so it may, the relapse may not happen for a year. But you just have to learn how to do all the coping. Because, you know, you, I'm just telling you what you've always told me is that you need to have recovery alone to kind of get your shit together. And then once you feel 100% confident, then you can meet someone to share your life with. That's why, like, I'm trying to build a network of support, like, sober support. Like, every time I go to a meeting, I try to get a guy's phone number and then call him, and I've been doing that. I've been reading a lot in the literature and the books, trying to learn. You know, there's so much I don't know that I thought I knew. Well, I think what's important for your own awareness is that you to know that yes, the relationship is, is probably too soon and right. there could be some fallout from that and get ready to cope without, without, without using. Right. That's the biggest thing is if it falls out, how am I going to be prepared for that? Yes, how are you going to be prepared for that? Because I think getting to know you, I guess, it's been almost a year. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is insane that, you know, you, you, don't, you don't like being alone because when you're alone, you're with your own thoughts and your thoughts scare you. And you've said that to me. So, you know, it's just right. being alone is scary. And I think with your mom not being emotionally available, financially available, even spiritually available, physically available, you know, you're craving some companionship. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be tough for sure. Like, and it's not the relationship itself that can cause me the trouble. Like you said, it's the, what, the trauma or what could happen. Yeah, if yeah. If the relationship ends. If the relationship ends or if, or if you feel that you're 
you know, you're, you're caged in, or if you feel like right. you've gotten into a situation which you don't know how to get out of, then it's when you usually seem to react based on, right. based on what I know of you. What about your, your child, your child that was in foster, your son? He's still waiting to be adopted. There's nothing that I can actually do to see him because of me losing my parental rights while I was in prison. So I more or less am waiting to see who adopts him and if they're going to be willing to do an open adoption. As to where if there's an open adoption, then I'm eligible to reach out and see him with, with, their, with their consent. Are you able to send him letters or anything? No, I'm not. I'm not allowed to do any of that. Is he technically not even allowed to know where he's at okay. until something happens? It sucks. It really does. With my daughter, I still have the rights there. My baby mom is threatened to say that if I reach out to her or try to see her, that she's going to throw me in jail for the child support I owe, which I'm not worried about that because. I want to see her regardless, and she can't put me in jail for when I was in prison and I couldn't pay. So, well, she's I guess she's me. well, she's trying to protect your daughter um, from a situation that could that could hurt her, could have an impact on her, could have trauma on her. Right for like if I show up in her life, yes, and then good, leave, and then all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden just leave again. Yeah. Or, or she so, sees you. She sees you high, or she sees you in uncomfortable situations. So, for her protection, I think that I need to stay sober at least a year before I reach out to her. Not because I don't want to see her now. I mean, I, I miss her so much. I would love to see her, but I need to make sure I'm stable and grounded enough in this recovery, my recovery, before I reach out to her. And I think a year is a good place. What would you say? to her if, if she could hear something from you, for both your kids, for your daughter and your son, what would you say to each of them independently? To my daughter, that I just, I miss her and I love her and that I'm sorry everything turned out the way it did and that I didn't mean to hurt her or her mom. And I'm glad that Shane, which is her stepdad, I'm glad that he stepped in and took care of you. Um, and I just hope that she would give me a second chance and I want to be here for you. And pretty much the same for my son, other than that I'm, you know, I wasn't even there at all. And that I'm just sorry, you know. Uh, and I want to be in and that I just want to be in their lives now and I want to show them that, that I want to be there. This sucks having kids. My dad abandoned me, and I'm doing the same thing he did. And, and there's still time, but I'm running out of time. I just I need to. It's got to be now. It's I'll be 30 next month, and it's just it's time. Like I'm not getting any younger, and the games and the the lifestyle and all that shit. It's just it's got to. It's got to be, and then it's got to be over. I can't do it no more, Carl. I can't. So it's crazy. You know it. Like it's hard. In addition to these interviews, 
Devin is also keeping a daily video diary of his recovery journey, which you can follow on our Stand Up Speak Up Instagram, at Stand Up Speak Up Apparel. While you might have been sad to hear that Devin had relapsed after our first meeting with him, it is important to remember that relapses are often part of long-term recovery and do not mean that that person has failed in treatment. 40 to 60% of people who enter addiction treatment facilities do experience a relapse at some point in their life. The important thing is to never lose hope and recommit yourself to the recovery as soon as possible, as we have seen here in Devin's case. We at Stand Up Speak Up want to thank Devin for continuing to allow us to be a part of his recovery story and for opening himself up so honestly and unfiltered to you, the listeners. We will continue to talk to Devin and keep you updated on Instagram. So please follow us there at Stand Up Speak Up Apparel. Special thanks to our host, Carla Stevens Tolstoy, writer Jessica DeBrun, and editor Cesar DeCastio. This week's song is by the Toronto-based rock quintet Ascot Royals. Their song, The Best is Yet to Come, has become an anthem for those looking to find the light at the end of the tunnel. We hope Devin and others who are suffering from similar struggles are able to find the strength to not give up and start the road to a happier and healthier path.
Stand Up Speak Up podcast is made in Canada. Copyright 2018. Find us online at standupspeakupapparel.com. If you have a moment, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.